Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. What's up, Venture? My name is Charles. I'm the high school pastor here and excited this week to be wrapping up our Reframe series. If you have your Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 13. Philippians chapter 4. Here we go. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Here's really where I want us to pay attention. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then our reframe verse for the week here in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this chance to open up your word. Thank you that uh, through your death and resurrection, uh, we are adopted into your family. We are heirs with you. We are your beloved children. God, would that reality, would your reality be what defines us as your people? God, would we be a people of contentment? Would the general state of our heart just be satisfied in you? Lord, and through our calm, peaceful, contented hearts, would people see the good work that you've done in us and glorify you? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's the question. Have you ever had a totally contented moment? A couple years back, I was on a trip to Hawaii. I was helping Hume Lake Christian Camps run a conference at first and then uh, a camp for, for high schoolers. And in between the conference and the su summer camp, uh, there was one day when I didn't have any responsibilities. And it was just like a busy season of life and we had four kids at home and things were kind of wild uh, there on the mainland. But there, on, there in Honolulu for the one day when we had off, I had no responsibilities. And so I grabbed a bag. I kind of didn't know what to do when I only had to take care of myself and there wasn't a bunch of people that I was lugging with me to our vacation spot. Packed a bag, threw a couple of snacks in it, threw a couple of drinks, went down to the beach, kind of set up a shop. And honestly, it was a little bit weird because it was just me there at the beach. But there was something about it that was just so peaceful. If you're in here and you're a parent or the last couple of vacations you've been on have been family vacations and it's a bunch of you, you know the difference between being with your family, which is a little chaotic, and just being by yourself. And there was just something about that moment. I ended up falling asleep on the beach, got terribly sunburned. Uh, but even despite the sunburn, there was just this, whenever I think back on the moment, it's just this moment of total contentment. And so here's my question for you. Uh, what's that moment for you? If you're sitting watching with your family, maybe just uh, tell that moment to the person next to you. If you're by yourself in the car, you can just take that moment of contentment and remember, ah, yes, I remember when that happened to me as well. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Here's the question that I want to ask. What if we could be consistently content. What if contentment wasn't reserved for naps on the beach? 
if it wasn't reserved for graduation or for the weekends or for retirement or for those tidbits of time here and there kind of scattered out, what if that could be the rule of our hearts and not the exception to the rule? This, today what we're going to be looking at is what if we could be consistently content? Honestly, it almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Uh, that contentment isn't something that we're uh, hardwired for. Here's what Solomon says in Proverbs. He says, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. It's like inside of us, there's just this desire for more, 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 more. Uh, there's a story, I don't know whether or not it's actually historical or not, but somebody asked John D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Kind of comically, what uh, Rockefeller said was just a little bit more. At that time, at the height of his wealth, he was worth, let me get this right, $900 million, which was almost 3% of the GDP that year for our whole country. If you round that up to dollars today, uh, his wealth puts Elon Musk, it puts uh, any CEO to shame, where he had a ton of money, but yet his heart was, I just need a little bit more. There's a 19th century German philosopher named Arthur Schopenhauer who said, money is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. And the same is true of fame. I love Augustine's line as he opens the confessions. He says, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And there's just something about the human experience where we know what it is to be restless, just to consistently want, like, I want more of this. I want more X, Y, or Z. And there's just a restless state of being. But as much as we know that restlessness, there's also that longing in our hearts where we just want to be content. We want to come to a place where it's like, I have what I need. I'm happy with what I have. That's why when I come to what Paul says, it just resonates with me so deeply. He says back in verse 11, he says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And honestly, when I read that, I just think like, ah, I want that. In whatever situation, I can be content in that. Even when he says, I know how to be brought low. I know, uh, I know how to face hunger. I know how to be in need. In each of those circumstances, like it's possible just to say like, even with all of that, I'm content. In any given week, there's going to be challenges to be faced, to face with contentment, right? But this week, uh, the clutch on my car is going out. The water heater needs to be replaced. The washing machine isn't working. And it's not like the Lord was teaching me like, hey, Charles, even in the midst of this, in whatever situation you find yourself, you're able to be content in that. And honestly, though, I, I love that Paul doesn't just simply talk about when we're in need, when we're suffering lack, when, when, when we don't have the things that we need. He actually speaks about both sides of contentment. He says in whatever situation, and he specifically points out, I know how to be brought low, sure, but I also know how to abound. 
in every circumstance, whether it's facing plenty or hunger, abundance and need. And so he gives us a comparison on both sides. It's almost like Paul knew an abundance of things doesn't automatically lead to contentment. And that whether uh, you're rich or poor, this lesson of contentment is something that we're going to need. And as a people who comparatively speaking, and I definitely include myself in this, are on the abundance side of things, man, we need to learn this secret that Paul had learned. We need to know how to be content. But real quick, before we jump into contentment and what Paul teaches us specifically in this passage, just a couple of side notes. One, contentment does not mean complacency. Contentment is not an excuse to be lazy. No one would blame Paul uh, for somebody who is just sitting around, sitting on his hands, not doing something with his life. Paul was a driven person. He was passionate. He had goals. He was going after it. And yet, with that passion, with that drive, there was contentment. That's the contentment that just reading this passage, I want that. Real quick note, middle schoolers and high schoolers. I want to specifically chat with you guys. I'm the high school pastor. I have middle schoolers in my house. And I want you guys to get something from this message as well. You guys want contentment. I think sometimes uh, we have this internal desire. And this isn't special to middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, this is true of all of us. But some of us think that our discontent, like our frustration, our anger, will actually get us what we want in the long run. And there's this fear where it's like, if I let go of this frustration, if I stop being angry, if I don't show you that like I'm not happy here, then I'm not gonna get what I want. Can I just say being miserable is miserable. And you can choose to want contentment, to say like, I want to be satisfied with what I have. Uh, in our house, in the Homer household, uh, the line that I make my kids repeat uh, when they're being especially discontented is, uh, I'm happy with what I have. And, and so whether it's little Charlie who's four, who's complaining about what we're having for dinner, or Caleb who's 14, when there's just this like, oh, I'll be like, say it, I'm happy with what I have. And you, almost universally, here's how they say it, I'm happy with what I have. And there's just like glass over, like I know I'm not getting through, but I'm gonna make you say it anyways. But part of me just says, like thinks as a dad, like don't you wanna be happy? Like if you have a choice in this, wouldn't you want to be content in your circumstance? A funny little story uh, that I take from the author Max Licato. Max Licato compares uh, a dog and a cat and hopefully we're all on team dog here. But here's a comparison between the diary of a dog and the diary of a cat. I'll, I'll shorten it a little bit for time. Diary of a dog goes a little bit something like this. 9.30, or excuse me, 8 a.m., 8 a.m., oh boy, dog food, my favorite. 9.30, oh boy, a car ride, my favorite. 9.40, oh boy, a walk, my favorite. 10.30, oh boy, another car ride, my favorite. 11.30, oh boy, more dog food, my favorite. And the diary of the dog goes on with just this repetition of, oh man, my favorite. The diary of a cat sounds a little bit like this. <clears throat> Day 283 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. 
They dine lavishly on fresh meat while I am forced to eat dry cereal. I'm sustained by the hope of escape and the mild satisfaction I derive from ruining a few pieces of furniture. To display my diabolical disposition, I decapitated a mouse and deposited the headless body on their kitchen floor. They only cooed and condescended, patting my head and calling me a strong little kitty. Hmm, not working according to plan. The diary of a dog and the diary of a cat. One contented, the other conniving. And for the sake of our time this morning, I just want to kind of lay the foundation. Don't you want to be content? With that desire in our hearts, uh, one more passage before we jump into the main thrust of what Paul is talking about in Philippians. But let's go to 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, here's what Paul says about contentment. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, you want something that's valuable? Godliness and contentment put together, that's so valuable. And he just lays it out. He says, we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, and I'm just thinking most people listening to this talk on their iPhone, in their car, on their smart TV, probably have those bases covered with these things. Here's Paul's recommendation to us. Let's be content. And he goes on and he talks about, uh, in, in this next verse, a little bit about the danger of riches, but notice where he lands with contentment. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, Paul here is talking to Timothy, O man of God, flee these things. Man, get rid of that discontent, that desire for more, that love for money. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. It's almost like Paul knew without that contentment, it's really hard to be a godly, faithful, loving, steadfast person. And I think we would all agree that when we're not contented, we just don't have it in us to be loving. We can't be a loving person when the like inward state of our heart is just, I want more, I want more. I'm not happy with what I have. In this passage, Paul says that he's learned the secret of contentment. And we're going to walk through real quick and just unpack what that secret is for us. And so first point right here, contentment is a skill to learn. Contentment is a skill to learn. Here's what he says back in the passage. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then he says it again, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. And so both times as Paul is talking, he says, this is a skill that I had to learn. And honestly, Paul doesn't elaborate too much on how he's learned this skill, but it's really clear that this wasn't something that's like fell out of the sky out of nowhere. This wasn't something that just magically popped into his life. It was a skill that he learned. It was something that he had to participate in. It was something that he had to practice at. He was involved in the process. Contentment isn't something falling out of the sky, an attitude that magically just like appears in our heart. It's a little bit more like dribbling a basketball or practicing cursive. Uh, but unlike cursive, contentment is actually really, really valuable. At first, when I was writing this message, I wanted to say contentment isn't like magic. But as I was thinking about it, Contentment is actually a lot 
like magic. And I say this because I know one magic trick. Instead of talking about magic, let's have a little fun. Uh, let's actually do a short little magic trick. I'm gonna need a volunteer for this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the latest and greatest Brooke Irby. She's coming on staff with us to help us with worship. You've seen her on stage before. Generic card trick, okay? Uh, and so I'm just gonna shuffle these cards, try to do it a little bit quicker so you don't, so this doesn't take forever as we're on uh, camera. So all I need from you okay. is to tell me when to stop, okay? And so I'm gonna, oh, there we go. I'll, I'll keep going, I'll keep going. Just like, there's only 52 stop. cards, okay. <laughs> so that's your card, okay? So that's her card right there, all right? Okay, so that's your card. Okay. Um, I'm gonna put it in here. You're just gonna shuffle it real quick and again. Uh, I learned this trick when I was probably like 11 or 12. Um, 11 or 12, camping, there's really not much we can do. Oh, just one, one and yeah, done. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Yeah, I do it a little bit more. Oh, one more time. Bob Firth uh, was camping with our family and he knew how to do this magic trick. I was like, Bob, you have to teach me how to do it. And so Bob did. And like ever since then, I've just been like blown away. But Bob gave me the secret of magic. And honestly, I appreciated him uh, letting a little guy in on it. And so I'm just gonna go through, I'm gonna find your card for you, and then we'll see if we, if the magic's looking good for us today. It'll, it'll take me a while, like I said, 52 cards. And so, bum bum bum, not feeling it yet, not feeling it yet. It's okay, just give me some time. You can be really impressed. I hope so. I hope you're impressed too. Hope it's <laughs> nothing like uh, burning out in front of a, in front of an audience. Okay. That was your card. Okay, 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 okay. Second time's a charm, or no, third time's a charm, or whatever. Uh, that's your card. <laughs> it's not. Okay, okay. Uh, just, just put your hands on them for me, okay? Here's where the magic happens, okay? Uh, just, yeah, just cover them. Okay, ready for the magic? You're gonna feel it. Bam, magic. Okay, so look, look, at, look at your cards, and then show them to the camera. I. You have to show the camera or else they can't see. There it is, folks. You did it. How did you do that? It's magic. You're not here, but give it up for Brooke. Brooke, I appreciate it. I'll tell you what, you can take these cards so I don't have to have them on the podium anymore. Now here's what I promise you. I promise you that I don't have any like magical skills. Like when I tapped her hands with the cards, like the card didn't like, like down into there and like magically appear. Uh, like I know God loves me, but he doesn't love me that much to give me those type of powers. There's two or three sleights of hands, depending on how you count it, um, that, that make that trick happen. And if you come to me after the service, maybe if I have time, I'll show you how to do it. But here's the secret for magic. Practice, practice practice. That those two or three like sleights of hand that happened in the trick, you just have to practice them until they become like just the natural muscle memory and it just happens that way. David Blaine is a magician who's a little bit more accomplished than I am, uh, not by much, um, but he has a TED talk where he talks about how he learned to hold his breath for 17 minutes. 
And he walks through it all. Initially, he tried like a couple of deceptive ways of doing it, but then just decided like, I'm gonna do it. I'm going to actually hold my breath for 17 minutes. And at the end of his TED talk, here's what David Blaine says. David says, I think magic, whether holding my breath or shuffling a deck of cards is pretty simple. Notice what he says. It's practice, it's training. And at this part, he actually like breaks down. He starts like crying a little bit. He says, it's practice, it's training, it's experimenting, and it's just pushing through the pain to see what your body can do. And I love that, I, like, that idea of magic because contentment is magical. When you meet somebody who's contented, you're like, man, like, how did they win the genetic lottery? How, how do they like, have that disposition? And, and, and maybe it's their personality type. Or maybe we can realize with Paul that contentment is a skill, that it's something that takes practice, that it takes consistency, it takes trying, it takes failing, it takes trying it again. And this idea that the Christian life is a process, an aspect of it is a skill that you learn, is actually all throughout Scripture. In the passages that we've been going through, even just in the book of Philippians, here's what Paul says. He says, you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We covered that a couple of weeks ago. Later on in chapter number three, he'll say, not that I've already attained or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And you see this idea of a process of going forward. In Romans chapter 12, in the famous verses that Paul gives, he says, be not conformed to the world. And he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a process. You're involved in it. It's a skill to learn. There's, there's involvement that you have responsibility to join in with what God's doing. Even Jesus himself, when he made the invitation of the crowd, here's what he says in Matthew 11. He says, hey, take my yoke upon you. This is the teaching of Jesus. A rabbi would have a yoke, which was symbolic for their teaching. He says, and learn from me. It's a process. It, it's, it's an ongoing uh, work that God does in our lives that we cooperate with him. And he says, I am gentle, lowly heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How do we find that rest? Where does that contentment come from? It's his teachings. It's learning from him. It's a process. Whenever I teach about the process of becoming like Jesus and, and emphasize the effort, I always get a little nervous that I'll be misunderstood. Hear me out here. I am not saying that we are saved by our efforts. We will never do enough good works to, to merit God like saving us. We are saved by grace through faith, not of anything that we've done in ourselves, not of works so that none of us can boast. But in, the same, in that same passage in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so there's, there's two sides of it. It's like we are saved by grace, nothing that we've done. But as we are saved by his amazing grace, we get to participate and there's a process in that. And so if we desire to learn contentment, if we desire to walk with the Spirit and practice this skill, what, what's, what's the move? What's the wax on and wax off of learning contentment? Here's a couple of things that we see from the passage. First thing that Paul teaches us, if we want contentment, we celebrate the good. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What I love in this passage is Paul's just like very thankful 
for the financial gift that the Philippian church had been able to send to him. A messenger came down and said, like, hey, Paul, we've been thinking about you. Here's a gift for you. And just like out of like it wells up in his heart and he expresses his gratitude. And that expression of gratitude, that gratitude in itself, it leads to contentment. Gratitude just like pushes out all of that like desire for more and more and more and leads us to a place of contentment. Uh, there was a study from two psychologists, one from the University of California at Davis, the other from the University of Miami, got a group of participants together and they split them into three groups. First group at the end of every week was to write uh, statements about positive things that happened that week. The second group was to write sentences, just describing things that were irritating or frustrating to them, and just write sentences about those things. And then the third group were just given a generic thing, hey, write about three things that happened to you, just no positive or negative connotation. And here's what their study found. The group that wrote about what they were grateful for, after 10 weeks, uh, were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. In addition to that, they also exercised more, had fewer visits to physicians than those who focused on sources of aggravation. And I think for, for the sake of our talk, we say the people who focused on the positive, even just like feeling the gratitude, were more content, able to realize like, hey, there's something for me to be thankful for here. I'm gonna talk about a couple of songs uh, in our time together. The first song that I wanna talk about is the song, Count Your Blessings. It was written by Johnson Oatman in 1897, so a good long while ago, but it's so catchy, it still goes. And in Count Your Blessings, uh, he just lays out, he's actually the person who coined that phrase, Count Your Blessings, and the chorus is just goes, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And just that idea of how do we get to contentment? Man, let's just be grateful for the things that we have. Let's celebrate the good things. Second thing, here's what Paul uh, teaches us in this passage. Be confident in God. Be confident in God. Here's where I see that. And this is our reframe verse for the week. He said, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then here's his statement of confidence in God. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you'd allow me to. Uh, I would love to be honest with you just for a little bit. I've been honest with you this whole time, but a little bit more honest. Um, initially, when I was going through this passage, I was just a little frustrated by it. I was like, really, Paul? Like, I feel like you're missing a piece here. I mean, you're talking about the secret of, of contentment here, how, how, how to face plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and then you just jump through it and your answer is, well, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's just like, wait, but, but how, like, how does that actually work? Do you just like say, no, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. And don't get me wrong, like, I believe that God can do great things. I am, I am convinced that God created the world. I'm convinced that Jesus died and showed that he had power over death and resurrected the third day. I believe that God's spirit, his life is inside everybody who puts their trust in him, that we have God in us. But it's easy for me to believe these big things 
and still maintain this doubt of like, is God going to come through in this circumstance? Can God affect my mood today? Can God take this attitude that's honestly just frustrated and sour and bring me a heart of contentment? And I think what Paul, I, I, I don't know, he doesn't say like if this was something that he worked on or if this was just like the attitude that he had in his heart. But I think the natural overflow of his heart was just like, I know that God can get me through this situation. I know that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I don't like the idea of just like amp yourself up and then eventually you can just fake it until you make it, just repeat it. But maybe there's a place for that. Maybe there's a place for just believing I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Over the last week, as I've been studying for this, uh, not, nothing, nothing more extravagant than any other week in life, but just the little difficulties that come here and the little discontentments that rise up in our, that rise up in my heart. I've just been trying to take this reframe verse of the week to them. Charles, you can be content. In fact, you can do all things through God who strengthens you. You got this. And little by little, in little increments, it's like I'm a little bit more contented. I'm a little bit more able to deal with the difficulties. It's almost like I'm learning a new skill, that there's this process going on in my heart where I'm becoming more conformed into the image of Jesus, more like him. We have the ability to learn contentment. As one more story as I'm closing this out, last week as we're talking about peace, this week as we're talking about contentment, the song that's just kind of been in the back of my mind is the song, It Is Well. Horatio Spafford was the one who wrote that song. And, and the story behind it makes the words of the song so much more significant. Horatio Spafford was actually a lawyer uh, in Chicago. And he actually done pretty well for himself, had bought a bunch of investments on Lake Michigan and, and was doing well providing for his family. But then there came a period of just tremendous loss. Their only son died when he was four years old to scarlet fever. Just a couple of years later, the great Chicago fire came through and burned down all of their investment properties, and it was a total loss. Feeling like, oh man, like we just can't deal with the stress. Uh, Horatio said like, hey, Anne, his wife, grab the girls, we're gonna go off to England, spend a couple of weeks there. They're actually gonna go help with a revival meeting that D.L. Moody was holding at that time. And they, just as they were about ready to get on the boat, something came through and Horatio Spafford wasn't able to go with his wife and daughters, had to stay back and do some uh, business uh, that he had to get done. And so wife went on ahead and four days into their transatlantic journey, the French ship that his wife and daughters were on collided with another ship. In 12 minutes, the ship went down along with 260 people that were on board. Weeks later, when uh, the survivors were able to get across the Atlantic, and his wife sent Horatio back a telegram that said, saved alone, what shall I do? As fast as he could, Horatio got a ticket for a boat and made the journey over the Atlantic himself. And the captain, as they were passing the place where the ship went down, brought Horatio out and said, this more likely than not is the place uh, where the French boat went down and your daughters were lost. It was on the remaining part of that journey 
that Horatio would go back to his room and would write the words to the song that we still sing today. It is well with my soul. I actually love the line there in the first verse. Uh, Whatever my lot you have taught me to say, even so, it is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, in, in, in abundance, in need, whether I have a lot or, or I don't have what I need, in every situation, you've taught me the secret of being content. It is well with my soul. I love that the song actually has five verses. We, we don't have much patience for long songs anymore. But it's almost like Horatio processed through the grief one time, just reminding himself it's well with my soul, but it wasn't enough. And he had to go through time and time and time and time again, reminding himself through all five verses of the song, it is well with my soul. Christian, will you partner with God's spirit to learn the secret of contentment that God has supplied all of your needs in Christ Jesus, that you have everything that you need in order to be content. Non-Christian, if you're here and this is just playing along in your cars, your friends are driving you somewhere, can I just invite you into a contented life? That Jesus said, come and learn from me. That, that, that there's a secret of a life with God that regardless of our circumstance leads to a deep and real contentment. Yeah, it takes work. Yes, it's, it's not a magic that just falls out of the sky, but it's real and you can have it as well. Let's pray together. Dear God, teach us the secret of contentment. Help us to enter into your life. Lord, that, that we're confident in you. We celebrate the good. Lord, and we're entering in this process of apprenticing ourselves to you. Lord, give us the uh, tenacity to go after it day by day. Give us your gift of, of just genuine contentment in our hearts. Praise things in your name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.